Hello, and welcome to Columbus Local Podcast. I am Len D'Amico, and the podcast theme is Columbus Local Music for the most part. Um, but from time to time, we do deviate from the main theme and uh, have a special guest. So today, we have Beth's cousin, Jay Front, who is in town visiting, and he's just a dynamic guy. Um, we love Jay. And uh, I've known him for uh, two and a half years now. I think I met Jay two and a half years ago when uh, Beth and I got together. And uh, we uh, here we are in 2023, <clears throat> excuse me, hanging out on the weekend. And um, he's an interesting guy. Jay, say hello to Columbus. Hey, Columbus. How you doing? All right. And Jay is just a, a fantastic guy with just a ton of stories and uh, I thought that, you know, it'd be interesting to uh, learn a little bit about you and, and allow you to take the stage and just do your thing, man. <laughs> you're, you're embarrassing me. Not at all. It's not that special, really, but uh, thanks for having me on, man, and thanks for uh, coming into Best Life and turning her around. She was really on a slide. <laughs> hey, now listen, so, sorry, man. Beth, I had to open there's it up. No, there's no editing, okay? Like, this is a, it's a, treated like a live show. I'm just show. kidding. She's a, she's a super, <laughs> super lady and, you know, my best friend in this world. And, you know, I love her to death. Absolutely. And you guys have your family roots in uh, what city? Wheeling, West Virginia. Yeah, so. Yeah, we, we, uh, we all lived in Wheeling um, at one point. Uh, her dad and her mom were my aunts and my my mom's brother and sister we uh we come from a you know big family and lots of kids throughout lots of grandkids and one of the uh really cool things about it is every year we have a family reunion up in nogleby park in west virginia over there in wheeling and uh you know beth and i kind of stayed in touch and connected over the years and uh we would get together and it's just as you know it's a barrel of laughs you know oh, it's a great time for yeah. sure yeah yeah i got i got doused <laughs> into that two years ago <laughs> and it's a big family yeah yeah big family and there's uh six kids in her family six kids in uh, my family and uh they all had kids and i've got kids i got two daughters and 11 and a 16-year-old, uh, they're putting Go, the ears on, on me. 35. Yeah, they're, they're putting the ears on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And it is a beautiful family, um, you know, for, for everyone. So, um, you know, from West Virginia then, right? Yeah. Um, you, you, we could, we could talk grew, all I grew up day. backpacking and lo loved being downstate West Virginia. Otter Creek Wilderness, yeah, you know, going down to Cranberry Backcountry, Cranberry Wilderness, Dolly Sods Wilderness. These were these were special places to me growing up, you know. Yeah, you can't uh, you, you can't replace some of those memories no, with no, anything. No, for sure not. Beautiful. Well, one of the things I admire, Jay, uh, one of the many things that I've admired about <laughs> you uh, is is the fact that you took it upon yourself to walk. The Appalachian Trail. Oh yeah, yeah. Nineteen ninety two. How uh, old? How old were you? I was thirty two. Okay. And uh, thanks for aging me there, Lynn. I well, appreciate I that. Got a target, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
just, I don't know, I was in between things in my life and uh, just read this article in National Geographic called A Tunnel Through Time, and, or The Green Tunnel, I believe was the name of it, and uh, The Big Green Tunnel. And I was in a doctor's office, read this article, I was in between things and said, I'm going to do that. And I set out uh, in April 1992 and walked uh, 2,170-some-odd miles to Mount Katahdin in Maine, in the northern part of Maine, and finished October 15th, 92. So it took about six months, 172 days. That's amazing. And 22 showers. <laughs> so what, what state did you start? I'm sorry. It started in Georgia. Okay. It starts in Georgia and runs through 14 states up into northern Maine. And so did you reside in Georgia or did you just... No, it, that's where the trail begins. And okay. so I got a ride up to Georgia from a buddy of mine who drove me up, you know, one evening in the middle of the woods and dropped me off, said, you've lost your mind and I'm out of here. <laughs> Let you go. He drove off and I stood there looking at the start of the trail and all alone and it's getting dark and I got to put some miles in and started thinking, what have I done? What are the things that, that you had to do that you remember that prepared you for, uh, shoe wear, clothes, oh, yeah. I spent a year, um, you know, interestingly, I spent a year driving from Jupiter, Florida, where I lived at the time. Um, and I was renting a house or owned a townhouse down there and I was renting it out to a buddy of mine and he's my roommate and I would drive every weekend to, uh, Orlando two hours and spend the whole weekend in an outdoor store up there. Cause it was the only outfitter around buying gear, going through gear and learning about, you know, backpacks and, you know, rain wear and all that. And just planning the whole thing. Food drops, mail drops, all that. How did, how's the food drop scenario work? Well, when you say you plan it, like... Well, yeah, because you have, like, I, I, the trail runs near or through towns along the way. So you kind of figure how many days food you can carry, and you look at the map, and you figure out, okay, well, I'm going to be in, say, Damascus, Virginia, by this date or around this date, and... You send your mail boxes to a, it's called general delivery in the post office, and you can address something to your name, care of general delivery, uh, post office, you know, so-and-so, Damascus, Virginia, please hold for Appalachian Trail through hiker. And when I finally got to that town, I would, uh, you know, either hitch a ride into the town or walk into the town and you know, get off the trail for a day, get your mail drop, and, you know, you, my roommate would ship the box to me, you know, a month or so ahead of time, and I only had one box that didn't show up out of, I think I had 20-something mail drops for that period of time for, you know, six months. That's that's really uh, good planning, right? <laughs> it, no, it didn't work out like that at all. <laughs> it say. never does. Yeah, well... Best laid plans, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, did you did you know that it was going to take six months to get to get the whole? Trail? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, you you have an idea of what your pace is going to be able to be. Well, you always overestimate what you think you can do, and then when you get out there, the trail will beat you into shape. You know, and it becomes more of a mental thing 
once you get your trail legs and, you know, you get a few weeks in, you know, and you get the physical hurt and pain um, under control, then the mental part comes in. And then by then you're normally into what we call um, Trailzilla or Virginia as it's known. And it's the biggest state that you go through. Over 25% of the trail goes through the state of Virginia. So it's, um, while it goes through 14 states, a quarter of the trail is in Virginia and you just, you know, you're used to covering miles and you're, you know, you have these, uh, mile markers that you, you know, these places, state lines that you'd cross Maine, and you know, okay, here's Georgia. Now here's North Carolina, here's Tennessee. And then you're in Virginia and then all of a sudden you're still in Virginia and you're waking for weeks and you're still in Virginia and it's been raining or it's been cold and snowing and you know, it, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, did you, how, well, first of all, you, you know, when, when you packed, how heavy was that? Pack? So the backpack, my pack weighed with water, and fully with a food full like maybe 10 day supply of food it would be a week to 10 days the pack would be 45 pounds or so you try it you want to keep the pack to about uh, under 25 or 30 percent of your body weight it's it's still a haul though oh, it's right? inch uh, and up and down your mountains six months yes. you burn the equivalent they did a study and you burn the equivalent of two running two 26 mile marathons every day. You burn over 5,000 calories a day on the trail. You can't replace the calories that you're burning. Wow. I lost 40 pounds over the, over the course in, of six months. Yeah, over the course of six months. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing fit me when I came back. <laughs> well, what are you eating? Like so you're eating, um, Easily water-based prepared foods, ramen noodles, mac and cheese was a big favorite of mine, peanut butter, uh, instant coffee, instant oatmeal, lots of granola gorp, as we would call it, good old raisins and peanuts. And, you know, you'd get all kinds of snack bars. My favorite was a Snickers bar, you know, I mean... Lunch might be a bagel. Bagels traveled better than bread because bagels wouldn't smash up as easy in your backpack as a loaf of bread would, you can imagine. Uh, so I like to pack plain bagels and smear on some peanut butter and eat that. Or um, one of my favorites was uh, I always carried a bottle of hot sauce, a little bottle of hot sauce with me. Weight is a big factor. So you got to be really careful about your weight. But... I would allow a few extra ounces for hot sauce because I ate it on everything. I loved the hot sauce with some pepperoni and some squeeze margarine, if you can believe it. Squeeze margarine was huge because it didn't have to be refrigerated. God knows what's in it. But it was tons of calories and just gave you fuel. And that's that's what it was. It was like you're, you're fueling an engine. A meal didn't become a pleasurable thing so much as a necessity, like putting gas in your car. And you just sit and you just start eating and you're not even, you're just not even thinking. You're just 
putting in the fuel. It's amazing. Now, do, are you where? Where are you taking rest? Where? Where are you? So you slept. I slept. There are shelters um, out on the trail, but they're normally pretty crowded, especially early in the trail. They're you know the year that I hiked, three almost three thousand people attempted the to through hike the whole trail according to the registry in 1992 and 280 finished i was one of the 280 uh, over the course of that year um nowadays those numbers have gone up uh, significantly it's become far more popular far more crowded uh, to the point where there's not room in the shelters anymore you know when you leave within what they call the bubble which is between you know february and uh, say May of uh, the springtime, everybody starts setting out to head northbound on the trail. So the option is you can wait and hike southbound, but that sets its own set of challenges up if you start in the north and head south. So a lot of times uh, what they recommend you do is a flip-flop hike, which is you hike north almost halfway or so and then flip-flop and head north and then hike south especially if you're afraid of not finishing in time because the mountain up in Mount Katahdin in Maine by mid-October is a very cold, brutal place and uh, snow is flying and you can get snowed in as almost happened to us. We missed we missed it by, I, I finished uh, October 15th and October 16th that year, they closed the mountain to everybody. If you, you could hike all the way there and be stopped, and they won't let you go up because oh it's too gosh. dangerous. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but you did make it. Yeah, yeah, we, I made it. I met some some people out on the trail. I started out alone, um, and you know, for the first couple of weeks, I was you know camping and walking by myself and sleeping by myself. And then you meet other people, and kind of a loose knit trail family you have. You know, guys that you're hiking with, people that you. That, you know, and, you know, older guys, younger guys, you know, women, you know, all, all types, all walks of life are out there. Especially now, there are five, 6,000 people a year attempting a through hike and the success rate has gone up to, you know, 20% now instead of 10%. Is that because the trail with all the traffic has become maybe a little easier? Or well, are there other it, factors easier... Not physically, it's the same, you know, it's, it's as difficult to hike as ever physically, but mentally. And as I said before, you know, the trail is a mental challenge more than anything. You can't go out there and expect to beat this six month challenge and do it like a race. You know, very few people are able to have that mentality, but if you go out there and just live day to day, you can adapt to it better. The problem is you know, you're isolated. Back then, there weren't cell phones and all the ways of communicating, social media and YouTube and blogging and all this that is popular now. And they actually have etiquette for shelters and campsites where, you know, hey, keep your screen down. You know, don't turn your phones on at night because other people don't want to see that light from civilization out there in the wilderness, you know, and, but it's changed entirely. And I think the success rate is increased because now you can hike with a cell phone and, you know, have music the whole way. And, 
you know, uh, call your friends almost whenever you want. And, you know, there's a lot more cell signal, although it's still remote. There's, it's a lot easier to stay in touch. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's a big part of the challenge is the, you know, you, when you're out there and you're isolated, you know, it, it becomes a mental battle where now you can call home, you know, you still have the physical wear and tear on your body, but at least the mental part, you could call home, make sure everything's okay, get some re-encouragement, you know, you know, hey, change your food drop, do this and that, whatever you need to do to, you know, help you succeed. With the years that have passed, what, <clears throat> excuse me, what were, the, are there any um, moments that you reflect on that are significant to you? Yeah, you know, I guess I remember, you know, bad weather events, tough climbs. You know, there was a snowstorm that hit in 92 and dropped a couple of feet of snow in the beginning of May. I had left October 24th and about May 6th, I was up in North Carolina and I had met a couple other people, uh, Wayward Son and, uh, and Polar Bear were their trail names. My trail name was the Yogi Master. We can go into that later. But And uh, this snowstorm blew up. Um, woke up one morning. Polar Bear and I were uh, fixing breakfast and just getting ready to break camp and start out on the trail. And he goes, do you hear that? And I said, no. He goes, yeah, that's it. He goes, I don't hear anything either. There's no birds. It was gray. It was cold. And it was spring in, you know, North Carolina. Not, you know, we're not up north. And he, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's weird. He goes, I don't know, it's creepy. Let's get out of here. I said, yeah, okay, well, we better hurry up. Let's, so, you know, we started packing up. And as we started getting ready to go, flurry started coming down. And then started snowing heavier and pretty soon it was dumping on us and we're walking faster and the snow was coming down so hard that it was weighing our packs down literally laying on your packs sticking to everything and we'd have to brush the snow off each other's backpack and the ground was getting covered and the trail was marked with white blazes on trees and the snow in sideways and it's sticking to the trees and you couldn't even see the blazes and we kept losing the trail and now there's almost, you know, eight, 10 inches of snow up high. We're at 4,000 feet up on Waia Mountain. And, wow. you know, we're trying to, we're coming into uh, Bryson City, North Carolina was our next stop. Happened to be that that was going to be the next day. Um, but we skipped lunch, powered through, and started coming to the descent down into the valley. And as we got off the mountain, the snow changed to rain and the white turned to green and we walked down the valley and it was warmer down there and the snow stopped. It wasn't even snowing down there. It was just raining and, and messy, but it was just wild. But as we came into Bryson City, the word was that there was this huge storm that had come in and hikers were stranded all through the Smokies and you know, they were rescuing. And so we hold up in, uh, at the Nantahala Outdoor Center in Bryson City. And, and we hold up there for three days and uh, just 
Three days, yeah. really. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. couldn't get out until you know the snow abated a little bit, and then then we hiked on. Wow. It was it was nice to be in a town with some beers and <laughs> for a change and food. <laughs> oh wow, wow. Yeah, you you just order from a menu. You just put your hand over one side of the menu. And go, I'll have this. <laughs> I'll have this side. So were you carrying personal protection? Like No, you anything? really don't. You, you don't, don't need that. Yeah, no, you don't um it the the trail is actually one of the safer places in the world, you know, far be it from news sources and stuff to tell you, but if you know, they did a study one time and said that, you know, if the Appalachian Trail were a city with the number of people that hike on it and everything, you wouldn't even need a police force to work one out of every four days. You know, not even a full-time police. It's just a safer place to be. The most dangerous places on the trail are usually near the towns or the road crossings. You know, that's where, you know, you run into the iffy characters and, you know, but you just keep to yourself and, you know, push on. It's funny the questions people ask you, you know, like they they can't grasp what you're doing. And you, you come out of the woods and you walk along a road he come to a, I came to this old timer sitting in a pickup truck in Tennessee and I was just tying my shoe and he looked at me and he said, uh, he goes, you, you hiking? I said, yes, sir. You know, pretty obvious standing there with a beard and a backpack on, you know, and he said, uh, where'd you start? I said, Georgia. He thought about it for a minute and he said, where are you headed? I said, the main, sir. He goes, that's a fur piece. I said, yes, sir. He goes, that's a hell of a car ride. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. He goes, he thought about it for another minute. He goes, why? I said, just something I always wanted to do. He said, you're not getting paid? I said, no, sir. He goes, you're doing this on purpose. I said, yes, sir. He goes, you're touched, son, ain't you? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm crazy. <laughs> Well, you're not crazy. I mean, that's, well, that's like a, that's it's a, yet to be seen. It's a per, it's a personal journey, isn't it? it? Really was, really was. And I and I had the opportunity to raise money for uh, Beth's uh, niece um, Kelly, who was diagnosed and God rest her soul, you know, succumbed to leukemia so many years ago. And uh, I was able to uh, turn the energy and the interest that the hike, you know, created into a way to raise money. I contacted the Leukemia Society and they printed up forms for me and I put them out in my hometown in Jupiter and, and raised, you know, several thousand dollars, you know, not a great amount these days, but raised a lot of money for the Leukemia Society in honor of Kelly. So awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was great. We we miss her. Right, Beth? We do. Oh my. Yeah, how, how wonderful, you know, to to be able to have that, oh, it was great. Yeah, gifted. Yep, yep, yeah. Great for that time. cause. Coming back was a coming back into civilization was a real adjustment, you know. So so you anything else significant that that you along the way? Oh, I mean, I, there's so many stories. Yeah, Len, well, I we mean, only have we only have <laughs> bears and. You know, wildlife to, you know, I mean, the the mice are a big problem oh, with the man. shelters. Well, that's right, yeah. 
you know, people are worried about bears, and bears are an issue, especially nowadays, more so now than they were in the 90s, but uh, the bear population has come back, you know, in the eastern United States pretty significantly. But they're still not dangerous animals. They're like big black dogs, mostly, you know, that eat berries, but they will if they become accustomed to, if they... If they connect humans to food, then that becomes a problem. So, you know, you have to hang your food bag. But in the shelters, the mice, that's why I like to pitch a tent, because the mice were a problem. You know, at night, they would, you could hear them scurrying about the shelter, and they'd climb over you, and all oh, the stories of waking up in the middle of the night with a skunk on, or the, with a skunk on your chest. Oh, my God. That was. Cold Spring Shelter in the Smokies. Woke up one night and looked over, and there's a polar bear sleeping, and there's a skunk climbing up onto the sleeping platform. And I shine my headlight at him, and I turned it off right away because you don't want to startle a skunk, especially in a closed place. But, yeah, we had skunk encounters and mice encounters and snake encounters, and you get used to it. And did you did you encounter a bear along the way? Oh yeah, I saw a couple of bears. Couple, yeah, yeah. But the ones I saw, okay, one time was a, an aggressive bear. It was in the Smokies, and in the Smokies they uh, they took to putting um, chain link fences fencing across the front of the shelter. The shelter is a three sided wooden platform with a roof and three walls. And it's open on the front, and inside is the sleeping platform, and maybe a fire pit or something inside. But in the Smokies, they would uh, put chain link fence up to keep the bears out. And you were asked to hang your food inside the shelter to keep it away from the mice, and the bear couldn't keep couldn't get to it. Well. The problem with that is if you put your, you got to remember to shut the door when you leave the shelter. It's like to go get water or to use latrine. And this afternoon we hiked into a shelter in the Smokies and we hung our food bags up, left our backpacks in the shelter, shut the door and went out to get water. And we heard yelling coming from the shelter and someone had come into the shelter left their bag and left the door open and walked out to go to the latrine or something. And we came back to see a bear inside with his backpack in his mouth. And this bear took off running over the hill with this guy's backpack, carrying it in his mouth like it was a loaf of bread, you know, just like it didn't weigh anything, you know, just just dragging this thing down the trail tore to shreds and man yeah wow wow crazy so did did uh did this travel companion um did did he follow you the whole way no no we it's just kind of in and out and you know i i started out i met a guy um a guy i hiked with the longest i met him in the smokies his name was uh looks down um i'm not gonna use real names here to protect the innocent right uh Anyway, um, and then I met another guy along the way. His name was Polar Bear. Um, and then there was Wayward Son and um, his dog, Jesse. And there was um, 
there was Clink and there was Bigfoot and, you know, lots of characters along the way. And, you know, we had a good time. Rainmaker was another great guy, part of our team. Lots of stories. Yeah, for sure. And so when you ended in Maine, it's it's winter. Yeah, it's You've just it's cold, it. snowing, and you got to make arrangements. You You get up there, and then you have to leave early in the morning she's the last climb up the last mountain is one of the hardest steepest on the trail it's a five mile it's only a five mile hike but it's five miles practically straight up and it's hand over hand climbing rock climbing and it's above tree line so when you get up there um, you walk to the marker that's at the end of the trail the 2175 miles Georgia to Maine Appalachian Trail sign. It's iconic photograph moment. There's often other people up there with you. And then there's this beautiful um, ridge line runs off into, you know, the northeast and it's called the uh, knife's edge. But normally what you do is you hike up and you, you know, touch the sign, have your moment, and then you double back to down the trail back to the campsite at the base of the mountain. When we finished, um, we were fortunate enough to, a guy came up to us. He was wearing a Florida jacket. He was from Maine, though. His family owned a bed and breakfast up there in uh, Bangor or Bar Harbor somewhere and asked us if, you know, he, he could take some pictures with us because he had never been up there when a through hiker was finishing their hike and he goes up there every year and this was, it was a big time for him, too. And he goes, hey, by the way, you know, I, I've got some, some champagne I brought up here. Would you like some? We're like, hell yeah. And we dug in some champagne. And then he gave us out the idea of, well, listen, um, I'm parked down the backside of the mountain. And if you want, you guys can hike down with me and I'll ride you in my van back to the campsite. And we all look at each other and we're like, get to hike out the knife's edge, which is gorgeous, dangerous, but gorgeous hike, and then drop down into Chimney Ponds campground and get in this guy's van. He's going to ride us back. Yeah, we're all in. He's got beers in the van, and so we're in. We became friends with him. We hiked down a mountain. The problem was that when you leave to start your ascent of the mountain, you have to sign in at a register at the beginning of the trail and let them know what time you expect to be back. And the rangers checked this to, you know, for safety reasons. We didn't think about that when we went down the backside. By the time we got finished and came all the way back around, it's a 25-mile ride around the perimeter road to the other campground where we were. And it was dark. And we get there and there's all these flashlights out and truck lights and ranger trucks and we're wondering what's what's all the ruckus what are they doing they're re getting ready to start a search party for us oh my God. <laughs> wow we're like no no we no that's around. us man sorry they, <laughs> they scolded us mess around wow yeah so the next day we uh we piled into a a pickup truck in the back of a closed cab pickup truck in the back and rode four or five hours south to York, Maine, where a, a friend lived, and we stayed with him for a couple days, then hitchhiked down to Boston, 
And two of us uh, started on our journey home from Boston and got on the L. And these were the first crowds I've been in in six months. And it was shocking. Shocking. You know, I mean, it's like Boston packed trains and oh, my God, it was crazy. Adjustment. Yeah. Quite the quite oh. the climate change. Wow. Wow. So you felt the adjustment. Uneasy. The, yeah. The being in so many, you, you get so used to being alone in the woods and, com- you know, it's funny in the beginning, I couldn't wait to get to a town, you know, when I was hiking. And by the time I, I became seasoned and conditioned for it, halfway to three quarters of the way through to the end, when I came into a town, I couldn't wait to get out of the town and get back in the woods and, and go, oh, yeah, there's peace. That's you know, nobody long, honking horns at you. And how long did it take you to acclimate back into a couple like a of city? months? Months. Yeah, took months. me. I slept on the floor um, wow. next to the bed for a while. I, I couldn't sleep in bed really easily. I slept better on the floor, um, and that's common. You know, um, some people doesn't take much acclimation at all. It, it, for some reason, I, I guess I invested all too much into it or whatever. Yeah, well, you're, you're, emotional. Emo- you're an emotional guy, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, I, I can see how that would occur with you. you know? Yeah. I, I, I became, you know, so attached to it, you know, I'm kind of a loyal kind of freak and, you know, became attached to the trail and to and respected nature. Oh right? yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely, man. So that was yeah. spiritual, physical, very, and- very spiritual, very emotional, very opening, emotional time for me. You know, it it really, really was the most difficult thing I ever did. But, you know, it set me up. It gave me the confidence to go through life. You know, I did this. I can do anything, you know, and, you know, to take a chance. Oh, man, it's so cool. Yeah. So inspiring. Thank you. Thank you, man. I enjoyed it. Well, thanks for sharing that story. You stink like hell when you finish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, you know, like, were there any, is there any bathing? Is there any, you know, what, like. We came, well, you know, you don't take time to bathe. You you wash up out there, but you don't shower regularly or there's not time for it. It's It's a job. It's an A to B thing. And even though we would joke and say, hey, uh. You know, I got all day to, I got nowhere to go and all day to get there. You know, you're still trying to walk from point A to point B and do it in a relatively significant amount of time because, you know, you're, you're walking with spring and trying to beat winter. And, but so you don't take showers, uh, frequently, but in towns, and I looked back through my register, I kept a journal and I looked back through and counted all the towns that I was in. And, you know, multiplied that out. I took about 22 showers, maybe 24 showers over the period of six months. That's not a lot. <laughs> so you're ripe. And this is not uncommon. Don't think I'm a, I'm not well kept, but, and I'm not, but. <laughs> I, I don't think I am either. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not, co- I'm not co- a high maintenance co- guy. COVID changed me. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm not, I'm not high maintenance. Yeah. So, um, wow, it's just amazing, man. Just really yeah. is. And so a couple months after that journey, um, what did you end up doing with, with yourself? So that, when, with I didn't want to go back inside and work. You know, I didn't, I, I was, had been in the restaurant business and, you know, didn't really want to get, go back inside and do that. 
So um, when I came back to Jupiter, a friend of mine introduced me to uh, Bill Ryan, um, who was a wealthy uh, Chicago uh, real estate guy who started um, some town and country homes and some big companies. And he lived in uh, a development down there and he hired me as a property manager. And for a couple of years, I worked for him and would just manage his, his, you know, beach properties and stuff. And, uh, you know, did odd jobs here and there. And, you know, and then I, you know, fell into the whole world cup story, which is a whole another story. And ended up uh, starting a company with a couple of buddies um, in Orlando and got into promotional products. And that's what I do now. Yes. So you're an entrepreneur. You're you're running your own company. Yeah. What's, yeah. You, I, I mean, you can you can, can say, I plug it here. You can okay. plug, plug it right here. Man. <laughs> OK. Frontline marketing. We uh, I, I do promotional products, uh, screen printing, embroidered apparel for corporations. And I've got a sub company called Taproom Supplies, and uh, we do the same thing for the craft beer industry around the country. Um, work with some great brewers, and I've got some great corporate customers, Dr. Horton Homes, and uh, I've worked with Bank of America and uh, some some really good corporations that you know I have. A, I've got a small but loyal customer base. And we, we do all right. You know, I, I work hard, but, you know, play harder, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> as, well, as you know. Well, we'll be playing in Columbus, Ohio. A little, That's little right. tiny bit. Here for a couple days. So we're going to cut it up a little bit. Awesome. Go listen to some music tonight, right? Absolutely. That's our kind of our standby on the weekends. Uh, if we're not gay. We don't, neither one of us has a gig this weekend. No gig. That's right. But, you or uh, Beth. No. We, we will be... Uh, we will be seeing some some of some of the folks. Uh, That's why I love coming here. It, it's a great music scene. It really, it really is. is. It's it's it blows me away. I, I always want to bring friends here and say, "Yeah, you got to come listen to this music scene here in Columbus." Yeah, there's some great great uh, original music bands as well as cover bands. You know, you get you get, get your uh, you know every genre you could could imagine. So, um, it's really uh, really. You know, a lot of fun to be to be uh, touring around on the weekends. So Jay, um, wow, just an amazing story. I was very condensed. I know there's so oh, many my God, stories yeah, I, in there. You know, I've told the story so many times. It's you know, from body odor to you know <laughs> snakes and what did you eat and where did you sleep and you know, you know how do you readjust and you know all of that is days and days my wife just rolls her eyes now when she oh god here we go another trail story <laughs> you know it's still but it's it, you know at the time um not not the greatest communications not the best you know not the, the best no, so way you communicated to, to... we would communicate to it's a kind of a linear community if you can imagine and there are people that i had met and passed up and they're behind me now and people that i had met that are ahead of me and passed me up and they would, you write in a journal that you leave in the, it's called the uh, trail register. And you write it in, in a notebook, just kept in a plastic bag, hanging in a shelter on a pin, on a nail on a wall. And you take the pen out and you sign in and go, hey, the yogi master was here, you know, March 5th, you know, or April 29th. And, you know, a little bit about your day and people behind you will come up and see that and know 
about where you are and you share your plans, you know, hey, planning planning to hike 22 tomorrow to get into Double Springs Shelter and then going to do another big day to get into, you know, Nowheresville, Virginia. And um, people would, you know, catch up to you or not catch up. I, I had a buddy, I mentioned him, Polar Bear, who we, we were great friends. We covered hundreds and hundreds of miles together. He was a part of our group. And then one day in Harper's Ferry, he stayed back a day. We hiked ahead and made plans that he was going to catch up in a couple days. And he never did. And he was behind us. It turned out we learned later. He came to within like six hours of us at one point. He came into a town. We talked on the phone later after the trail was over and, you know, what happened to you? And he's like, I almost caught back up to you guys. I read that you had just walked out of town that morning and I came into town that afternoon. And that was the closest I came to catching back up to you guys. But, uh, you know, you, you might meet somebody once and never see them again, or you might meet people and, and walk with them. Very difficult to stay with somebody to have the exact same hiking pace and, you know, companionship. Relationships get very, very worn out there. It's, you know, it's something you probably need to do solo or really, really like the person that you're with because, you know, on a rainy, crappy day, you're sore, you stink, you're soaking wet, and you've got miles to do, and it's nasty out, and this is not going right, and that's not going right. You're already not in a great mood, and your partner is annoying you one way or another. The smallest things are just fray you. So, you know, they say if you want to figure out if you're meant to be married, take them on the trail. <laughs> take, 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 take them on the Take them on a hike. <laughs> wow. Well, again, Jay, I mean, you know, very intimate, very personal story. Um, appreciate you sharing that nah, today. I'm happy to do it. Thanks, man. It's yeah. a, I love being here. Um, it's an honor. Oh, I mean, yeah, family. Love you, brother. Love you, too. You're a good man. <laughs> and there's so many other stories. And, and maybe, maybe you know, uh, maybe within this topic, maybe, you know, outside. I mean, I, I, there's stuff you can you yeah, there's a lot of stories we can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've heard. Some it's of been those. a colorful life, I'll tell you. <laughs> yes, sir. And it's something that uh, you should be proud of. For yeah, sure. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so uh, I think uh, we're about out of time here. So we'll uh, we'll call this uh, episode uh, a special guest with Jay Front, the right. Yogi Master, the Yogi Master, <laughs> aka Koozie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. We'll, okay, buddy. Uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Thank you all. Bye-bye.